0: Your news program, every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS
1: eFM. Now, influential, controversial, practical, some words to describe the philosopher Peter Singer who's pioneered discussions in the world of ethics on very sensitive Topics from coming to the rescue of children in peril to abortion, from animal rights to global poverty. To celebrate our new fall or autumn season at TBS eFM, we can now bring in Professor Singer. Good morning to you from Seoul. Good morning. Good to talk to you. Wonderful to have you on the line. Um, Just a quick bit of background. You are a professor of bioethics at Princeton University in the United States, laureate professor in the Centre for Applied Philosophy and Public Ethics at the University of Melbourne, Australia, and your books include Animal Liberation and The Most Good You Can Do. Uh, And that's keeping it brief. Uh, So it's a great honour to have you on the line with us. I mean, this book, The Most Good You Can Do, the title in itself sends a clear message to us doesn't it uh, that we should perhaps be doing what we can to help others yes
0: certainly um but not only just something to help others but whatever we are doing to help others whether it's giving our time or our money that we should be thinking about will it be doing the most good we can because there are many different choices that we face and some of them are much better than others Uh, And very often people just make emotional choices on this without a lot of thought. I'm arguing that we should combine the head and the heart to make sure that we do the most good that we can.
1: Now, if I may venture just a little into the way of philosophy, um, why should we help others? I'm sure many of us do have the urge to do so, but why?
0: Well, I think one way of looking at it would be to say that Other people are like us in a very important way, that is, that their lives can go well or badly. And if we look at the world as a whole, if we detach ourselves a little from our own interests, I think we can see that uh, from that larger perspective, we should be caring about the welfare of others as well as ourselves. We're, We're not that different from others. And uh, if we think that our pain is a bad thing, that our suffering is a bad thing, and conversely that it's a good thing when we're happy, then I think it's very hard for us to deny that the pain of others is a bad thing and the happiness of others is a good thing.
1: Um, No doubt. But, for example, some of us will uh, have a religion, will have a a divine belief that will help us along with that, uh, help us solidify this need to help others, um, perhaps knowing or... or or suspecting that there will be some sort of retribution if we are not as good as we can be, or at least if we are evil, that there could be very negative effects. For those who have no such belief system, as long as things are going well for them, how can they rationally turn around and not help others?
0: I mean, I, I don't have the, the kind of belief system that you mention. Um, I think that we can do this simply on the basis of using our reason to see that we are one person among others and that uh, if we care about our own well-being, then to not care about the well-being of others, especially when we can quite easily make a big difference to their well-being and uh, at either no cost or at a very modest cost to ourselves, um, but that's just a kind of a bias, just as you know we, we reject biases on the grounds of, of race or uh, sex or something like that. I don't think we should say, well, this is me and that's you or that's them. Uh, I don't think that that's a good enough reason for saying that their welfare doesn't count.
1: And again, that's an area we could probably devote a long time to but it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Another area, for example, that you've urged people to to help children when you are able to help them, Um, but by the same token, you um, do not oppose abortion. Uh, As somebody who has several children myself, I think, you know, imagine if we'd gone down the abortion route. This uh, lovely child of mine would never exist today. How do you square that?
0: Well, I mean, it's true that that child would never exist. Uh, Equally, that child would never have existed if you had not had sex at the particular occasion when that child was conceived. Um, You might have had sex on a different occasion and a different child might have been conceived, just as if the pregnancy had been at an inconvenient time. You might have not had that child, but you might have later on had another child, perhaps just as many children as you now have. So, I I mean, to me, the, the point is that when you have an abortion you have uh... you end a life before it's it's really got going from the subjective point of view of that life that is there is no being who is aware of its own life who wants to go on living who has plans uh... in fact for the overwhelming majority of abortions there isn't even a being that can feel pain uh... the brain is not developed enough for a sense of pain so i see that as uh... a stage at which it is ethically acceptable to decide that that life has not begun well, has not begun at a convenient time and that it doesn't have to continue at that point. Once you have a being who has all those capacities, who is more aware of their own life, um, then you have a very different sort of situation. And that's the point at which I think uh, you do want to protect life and save life. And especially, of course, If the baby is a cherished one whose parents love and care for that baby, and if that baby then dies from some preventable cause, let's say malaria, um, that's a tragedy both for the child and for the parents. And if a relatively modest donation to the Against Malaria Foundation, for example, would have enabled that child to be protected by a bed net and not to get malaria, not to die, that would have been money very well
1: spent. Yeah, I mean, self-awareness is a is a controversial issue, but one might argue that um, even a newborn has very little self-awareness compared with uh, an embryo.
0: Well, one might, certainly, and, and one might therefore argue that the death of a newborn uh, is not the same as the death of an older child. Um, of course, it may still be a tragedy for the parents who, who want that child, but uh, I don't, you know... Perhaps for legal purposes, we need to have a, a clear line and, and birth is the line that is mostly used. But that's not the case in all cultures. Some cultures have had some ceremony at some stage after birth uh, to accept the child into the community. And uh, I think there's, there's some area there, there's some margin where you could say that decision is a tolerable one um, because there isn't a life in the same sense that there is later on.
1: Yeah, and, and I just want to clarify for the record, when we speak of existence before, that in itself is is a whole area that uh, would warrant further discussion. But Professor Singer, one thing that's already coming out in this discussion is you don't shy away from sensitive topics. In fact, uh, we can bring you into the sphere of current affairs because you have weighed in on the whole burkini argument, this idea of uh, Muslim women um, being able to wear certain clothes, whatever they want, really, when they go to the beach. It's a discussion that has gone from France to Australia and beyond. What what are your thoughts? Can you clarify them for us?
0: Yes. Um, I think that we should not try to prevent people from, uh, women in this case, from participating in all areas of life uh, on the grounds that they may have certain beliefs that they don't want to go out in public with certain parts of their body uncovered Um, and uh, if we have a law that says you can't wear this garment known as a bikini on the beach which is a kind of a swimsuit that is designed to cover the parts of a a woman's body that uh, according to her religion she may believe she should not display in public um, then you effectively are preventing her from going to the beach and I think that that's a penalty that we ought not to impose. Um, uh, the bikini actually developed in Australia, which is where I'm from originally, uh, precisely because uh, an immigrant of Muslim background felt that it was a pity that girls could not participate in Australia's beach culture. Um, it's important to Australians in the summer that the beach is a place where you socialize with your, with your friends, where kids play. Um, if Muslim girls are excluded from that, then uh, that's going to create a lack of integration in society. And if we want different groups with different cultures and different beliefs to actually integrate and and come together in the community, uh, it's a mistake to say uh, you have to expose the same parts of your body as as other people from different religions or no religions. Um, I don't see why we should enforce that.
1: Well, it was your article on this that That drew you um, today to our attention, but of course you are um, renowned in the world of philosophy and it's been fascinating to to look at your work. It's a shame we don't have more time to go through some of that. Um, One quick note on the bikini, of course in Australia you also have some swimsuits to protect from the sun that aren't so different, don't you? Which gives us some pause. Absolutely,
0: because yes, we're worried about skin cancer and uh, a lot of kids who are not Muslims cover up
1: as well. And, and rightly so. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Good. You're welcome. Thank you. As I said, renowned Professor Peter Singer joining us on the line. You can have your say right now on this topic, on any of the topics we've discussed there and more. Shop 1013 for 51 per message. You can tweet us at EFM this morning.